So, Father, thank you that, um, for the truth of that, that I will build my life only on you and your love. That's the only firm foundation, the only thing that's unshakable that we can settle on, build our life on, build our identity upon, that we'll make it through all the storms and the trials of life. So, um, in this season of Thanksgiving, we thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, this is the time where we uh, dismiss, I mean, do the greeting, is that right? Okay, Jordan told me, don't blow one day or I'm out of here, so uh, this is huge pressure. So what we're going to do is we're dismissing the children, age, grades, two to, <laughs> K to two, K through two, we're going to dismiss them to the back, and we will gather them and take good care of them. And in the meantime, while the kids are all meandering to the back, we want to take a, a minute to let you guys meet, greet, just say hi to somebody if next to you, grab a hand of maybe somebody you don't know and welcome them and say hi to a few friends. All right. Good morning, everybody. That was a lot of positive energy. That was awesome. And John's in the house. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, which is this week. A um, couple things related to Thanksgiving. Number one, I mean, Skylar said it. Uh, we still have like seven students that are needing a place for Thanksgiving. We, we never enter this week with that situation. So if any of you were thinking of signing up and haven't done it yet, um, just uh, get a hold of, you know, grab Skylar or Brandy or myself um, and let us know. Send an email to the church. I think there's a way in the church you can, can, I think you can still do that thing, but um, that would be great if you could do that. It's pretty lonely if you're here all alone with nothing to do Thanksgiving. Uh, so when I was asked to do this service, and it was the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I thought, well, you probably should do a Thanksgiving thing, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving? And as I was thinking about it, it, it was pretty obvious to me quickly uh, what I needed to talk about. A few years ago, um, I was, I, two years ago, there was a period in my life I was having some pretty big struggles with, an, with one issue, a really big issue, and I was not content at all, and I was not trusting God's control in that thing, and my spirit was all messed up. And at that same time, Steve Lowen and I were working through... Um, some old Puritan dude named Jeremiah, he's a dude, did you know Puritans are dudes? Pier Jeremiah Burroughs, who lived in the 1600s, like 400 years ago, had written a pamphlet or something called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I mean, I, if you know me, I highlight a lot of stuff, but I mean, look at this. It took us, I think, a year and a half to get through this. It was so rich. There was so much stuff. And it really spoke to me a lot about my own heart and where I was on this whole topic of contentment, which ties into thanksgiving and gratitude very much. So I want to share with you some things that, uh, that I learned from that. Is, that. is that good? Can we do that? We're good? Okay. Now, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, Yareem's in. She's in. All right. <laughs> She's my cheerleader today. So uh, 
Yeah, if things aren't going good, yay, Reem, I'll just point at you and you, you, give, you cheer for me. About a year and a half ago, I did a sermon on the book of Jude. I don't know if you remember that. We went through that little book. And um, somebody has called Jude the Acts of the Apostates. Uh, those guys in Jude, are, they're bad. They're, can I use dude again? They're bad dudes. These are bad guys. And I want to show you at the end of that book, before he gets to his practical section, he gives a summary statement of those apostates and what they were like. And I want to, I want to show you that statement. So in Jude 14 and 16, he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to get, convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do you get an idea what kind of people these are? They are, okay, ungodly, right? Uh, again, if, if you have to say three times about these guys, ungodly, they're bad dudes, all right? And, but what's interesting to me is right after this, I want you to see the two main qualities he identifies of these guys. He says this, these people are grumblers and fault finders. Can you say those two words with me? These people are grumblers and fault finders. Now, I was good before that because I wasn't in the camp of the ungodly, right? The ungodly, the ungodly, the ungodly. But suddenly, when Jude puts those, those two words in, suddenly I'm kind of, I'm like, whoa, that's, uh, that hits home a little bit. In his, this thing that Steve and I read, Jeremiah Burroughs says, this murmuring, which is the vice contrary to contentment, is not as small a matter as you think. You think you're not as ungodly as others are, because you do not swear and drink as others do. Now, this was 400 years ago, okay. Uh, but you may be ungodly and murmuring. This one scripture should make the heart shake at the thought of the sin of murmuring. And I remember when I read that, my heart shook. When I read the Jude passage and what he said, I'm like, wow. Uh, wow. And it, it, it kind of... Uh, you know, it was God pointing something. So this morning, I want to talk about, uh, I don't think I was that bad, but <laughs> maybe in 15 years, I don't know. <laughs> Grateful or grumbler? Grateful or grumbler? Um, and you know, as, as I was, as Steve and I were even talking through this, he, he actually helped me with this one thing. Um, and he's going to come up in a minute and share a little bit, but he helped me to realize that there's actually two, cat, two categories of grumblers. There's the traditional one, uh, the complaining, grumbling, fault-finding person um, who just, who outwardly, I mean, you, just their language, the things they say, they complain a lot. They say things, their attitude, their face, it's a face of discontentment. It's an attitude of discontentment. It's complaining about things. Um, and it's the overflow, in a minute I'm going to talk about a murmuring heart. It's the overflow of a murmuring heart, but this is more the outward. And, I mean, you know what these things look like. Um, a person that's oriented towards the negative. Um, a person that if you ask them anything, how was today or how was that, their first words are always negative. Um, somebody who struggles with this outward complaining, grumbling, fault-finding frequently annoyed at situations or people. 
um, almost always negative in their assessment of things. You know, they'll throw in a few positives, but a lot of the negatives. Um, just an ongoing inward spirit of discontent of life where there's rarely any satisfaction, rarely content. And, I mean, you can see it in the face, right? Not smiling a whole lot. Their countenance just doesn't seem to exhibit any joy. Frequently looking dejected, moping around. Um, I think there are some residual effects and other signs of a grumbling, complaining spirit. Anger issues a lot of times come from this. I'll talk later about having high expectations where nobody or nothing ever measures up. can lead to a lot of pent-up anger that will come out eventually. Gossip is a definite overflow, outflow of a fault-finding spirit. When you're gossiping, you're nitpicking and fault-finding with that person and making it public. So, I mean, we all know people, and I think we all struggle to degrees with some of these things, right, in our outward behavior. Um, but there's also, there are some people that are really good at keeping this hidden. And Steve will share a little bit about this. Um, the Bible calls this murmuring. And what it is, it's this inward heart attitude of discontent with your life before God. Um, and I know I don't want to steal his thunder, but like if, if you're the kind of person that's Mr. Nice Guy and you always got to look good to people, you'll hide that murmuring heart by not giving outward expressions of a complaining or groaning spirit. But that doesn't mean that in here there isn't this negativity, this, this discontent. So I, but what I do know is, is that the root of it all is discontent with the life I'm living before God. That discontent leads to, that spirit of discontent leads to a murmuring heart of complaining internally. Some people are good at hiding that and keeping it internal, but a lot of us, it spills over into our face and our language and our words to where we're, we're, just, we're just complaining a lot. Um, I don't know if any of you fit any of that. Uh, I'm a little bit, uh, maybe a lot guilty of all that. But what I want to do is I want to go back for a minute um, because when Jude talks about these people, these ungodly who are complainers, grumblers, fault finders, he in chapter, in verse 5 and verse 11 of that book was referring to the book of Exodus and the children of Israel, I mean the Exodus and the children of Israel as people who were like these apostates. And so that's what I want to do is I want to take us back to that journey that they took in the Exodus from Egypt to Israel. And I mean, if you know this story, God in his amazing goodness set them free from their bondage, set them on their way to a home that we're told in Exodus 3.8 was good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. On the way, he provided everything they need needed food, water. We're even told in Deuteronomy 29.5 that during those years, your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals wear out on your feet. So amazing provision on that path to the promised land. Yet, rather than be content with what they knew as a temporary situation, we are told over and over and over, they murmured, they grumbled, they complained, and they fault found, I guess if that's a word. Um, if I just showed you, yeah, I, yeah, there's the, we did that already. Here's, I mean, you can, Deuteronomy 127, God says, I heard you. You guys were, you were grumbling in your tents. And if you just, there's just different stories. The water from the rock, the quail, when Miriam and Aram came in opposition to Moses, their refusal to enter the land, Coral's Rebellion, 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrews 3, all talk about 
that these were a people of a murmuring, complaining, fault-finding, grumbling spirit. And that's the people that Jude is kind of pointing us back to. And when you look at their story, um, interestingly, we're not going to look at a lot of depth, but I want to show you four things we learn about a murmuring, discontent spirit from their story. From the, the story of those people of Israel, there are four things that we learn about a murmuring, discontent spirit. And the first one is this, that it is a proud spirit. It's a proud spirit. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for the word grumble, the root word is obstinate and proud. That's the root word of it. And it comes out in grumbling. Um, we're told in Leviticus 26, 19, Psalm 81 refers back, Hebrews. It talks about their stubborn pride, their stubborn hearts as they were on that journey. And basically, here's the, here's the reality. When, when we complain, when we grumble, when we murmur, what we're really saying is this, that we know better, right? We know better than God. We know better than everybody around us. What we're saying is, I'd manage this universe a whole lot better if I were in control, right? I'd manage my life a whole lot better if I were the king of the universe, then you're managing my life. And there is a deep sense of pride in that. Um, and if you're continually, by the way, fault-finding with other people, do you know you're taking a posture of pride with them? What you're saying is, I'm better than you, I know better than you, and so I'm going to nitpick the little things in your life. So the first thing we learn when you read the story is that this kind of a discontent, complaining spirit, it's a proud spirit. The second thing we learn is it's an unbelieving spirit. In Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long are they going to refuse to believe in me? Psalm 106 talks about their refusal to believe in the promise that he had made with him. You go to Hebrews and it talks a lot about their sinful and unbelieving heart. Specifically, here's what a complaining, grumbling spirit does. Not only does it say, I know better than God, the pride, but what it also does is this unbelief because um, they knew the story. The story of their people was in their story, and a very important figure was Joseph. He's the one that first got them to Egypt. And you remember Joseph went through a life of terrible suffering. A lot of bad things happened to Joseph. But Joseph said one of the most amazing things in Scripture that I love. In Genesis 50, 20, when he met his brothers, and he revealed that he was the brother they had sold as a slave and had kind of wrecked, wrecked his life, he could have blamed them, hurt them. In fact, they were afraid of that. But if you remember in Genesis 50, 20, he says, what you intended to harm me, God intended for my good. Now, isn't that an amazing heart of belief? That he endured all that he endured. And it was because he had a heart of belief and of trust in God's wisdom and his goodness and his sovereign control of his life. And even though things weren't happening the way he thought they should, he could stand in belief and say, you were trying to harm me, but God was intending my good. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite scriptures says this, God causes, he causes all things, not some things. He causes all things, the good and the bad, to work together, to work together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. That's what Joseph knew, and that's what he hung on to. 
So when you or me, when any of us grumble and complain, we're not only showing pride, like I could run this universe better, but we're also showing that we don't really trust him. And what we're saying is, your promise that you're going to cause all things to work for my good, I really don't believe it. And I'm going to whine and complain about it because I don't really trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. It's either I don't trust his wisdom, I don't trust that he's good enough, I don't trust that, trust that he's powerful enough, or I don't trust the plan that he has. So, it's an unbelieving spirit. And you know, when you know better than God, and when you trust, I mean, when you don't trust his sovereign goodness, it will blind you to the multitude of good things that he has in your life, the good gifts. It will blind you to those gifts because you'll be so focused on the negative. And not only blind you to them, it will prevent you from even, not just from not enjoying the ones you, it, it, it prevents you to fully enjoy those things with your blind to them. Does that make sense? A discontent spirit, a critical grumbling spirit, it lessens the mercy of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the gifts of God. And what's interesting is that, that desert path, I can't say I wouldn't blame him or I wouldn't have been there, but that desert path was going to be a short-term path initially, and that path was actually a blessing to them. Do you know that? Because that path is what was carrying them from slavery to the promised land. That path was a gift from God. Not only was it a gift because it was the pathway to where he was taking them, it was a gift because through the difficulties, he was honing their character and perfecting them and making them more like himself. That was his intent. And so this thing that was intended to become a gift because of their pride, thinking they knew better, and their unbelieving spirit, and their constant grumbling, complaining, they couldn't even see the gift that that path was. Couldn't even see it. And they missed it. Uh, and I think we've all been there and done that, right? Now, those two are bad enough, right? The next two are, to me, even more scary when you look through the story. And that is, is that uh, a complaining, murmuring heart is a contemptuous heart. In Numbers 11, 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? So not only am I having a proud spirit, I know better than God, an unbelieving spirit, I don't trust him with my life. But in doing those two things, I'm actually showing contempt for him, disrespect. I'm not giving him the glory and the honor that he deserves. I mean, that's pretty strong language, right? Psalm 106 says they despise the pleasant land. I mean, talk about contempt. They despise that pleasant land. But the one that nailed me, Steve can tell you, this was the biggest takeaway for me from this whole thing we went through was this one. Man, it's a rebellious spirit. To complain, to grumble, to fault find is a rebellious spirit. In Numbers 14, 9, and in number 17.10, you can read them in context, but both times he's talking about their grumbling hearts was a heart of rebellion against him. That's pretty strong language, right? That's pretty strong. And I still remember... the day I encountered that truth and realized that the struggle I was having with God was not just pride and unbelief and contempt, but was actually rebellion. And I'm telling you, the spirit, like, hit me pretty hard with that. 
because I don't consider myself a rebellious guy. I was always the good kid growing up. I'm not a rebellious type person, but that's what God calls it. And so that really struck me. Jeremiah Burroughs says, um, so you see that to be a murmur and a rebel in Scripture is all in one. To be a murmur and a rebel in Scripture is all in one. It is rebellion against God. Just as when the people are discontented, it's the beginning of rebellion and sedition in a kingdom. So when the people first get discontented, it's the beginning of rebellion and sedition in a kingdom. And before open rebellion in a kingdom, there is, a, there is first a smoke of murmuring. First a smoke of murmuring. And then he goes on and says, How opposite is a murmuring, discontented heart to a heart that is subdued to Jesus Christ as king and receiving him as a Lord to rule and order and dispose of my life as he pleases. So, pride, unbelief, contempt, rebellion. Uh, who in the universe both most embodies those qualities? Pride, unbelief, contempt, and rebellion. Who? Who most embodies those qualities? Satan. Yeah, Satan does. In fact, here's what he says. The devil is the most discontented creature in the world. He's the proudest, most discontented, most dejected. That's interesting. Most dejected creature that is. Now, therefore, however, however much discontent as you have, so much of the spirit of Satan you have. Wow. Ouch. C.S. Lewis says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining. You know, perhaps we're never more dislike God and more like Satan than when we have a complaining, grumbling, fault-finding spirit. That is probably why Jude, in his summary of the apostates, those are the two first qualities he lists of them, because I think he knew how serious that was. So, we don't want to be like Satan, right? Right? Rather be like Paul or Jesus. Uh, I'd love to be like Paul, to learn the secret of being content in every situation. Wouldn't you learn to love that with Paul? How about Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. To endure suffering and shame with joy. I'd, I, man, I'd love, to, I'd love to learn how to to live there. So I want to talk for a minute just briefly about some application and first of all, do you guys remember I preached last spring about lament that in the Bible when bad things happen, God wants me to cry to him with my pain to give to him my anger, my frustration. We talked about that, do you remember? The difference between lament and grumbling, and lament is good. The difference between lament and grumbling is, is a lament psalm, it always had the complaint, but what did it always end with? Do you remember? It always ended with belief and humility and turning the eyes to God as the ultimate Savior, turning to Him as the one who would help, seeking to find um, joy in Him in the midst of difficulty. What grumbling does is it gives the complaint and then complaint, and a complaint, and a complaint, and it continues going, and it becomes that murmuring spirit. That's what the word murmur means, right? Murmur, 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 and it's just an ongoing thing. So there, if something bad happens, of course we're going to feel bad. There's nothing wrong with giving voice to that. Pat's brother died this week, totally unexpected. Got a call Tuesday night. Um, she's experienced 
a lot of grief, right? She'll text me, having some waves of grief right now. That's appropriate. But she also has texted me how that, in the midst of this, instead of asking the question why, she's turned her heart to him and is asking the question, to what end? God, what can you do through this? How, how in the world can you be glorified in this? How can your kingdom be advanced in this? And in the midst of her pain, she's refusing to allow it to become, she's lamenting but not grumbling. Do you see? I hope you can see the difference. Um, so, you know, this moving from grumbling to gratitude, it's, uh, it's not necessarily easy. Um, I, as I've been thinking about it, you know, it's not, this can sound like really, it really, doesn't that, everything I've said sounds really terrible, right? Like, so if you go home and you complain about the, you, you get McDonald's on the way home and you complain about the hamburger, like, oh my gosh, I, I'm so proud and unbelieving and contemptuous of God and what a rebel I am, right? Okay, what a worm. Okay, that, my point isn't leaving like that um, because I think some people struggle with this more than others, not necessarily out of sin, but it, it can become sin. I mean, I think a lot of people who struggle with complaining are really, we would probably know, are self-centered, right? They feel entitled. They want what they want. They want it their way. Uh, they really want to be the center of the universe. High expectations on everybody around them, every event. And when their expectations aren't met, they become dejected and angry. So, and that's the root of a lot of it. We all know that self-centeredness in us is what creates a lot of it. Um, but besides those people, I mean, there are people that are pessimists, right? And, I mean, it appears that people are kind of born with a tendency towards either optimism or pessimism. And, I mean, it just, that is what it is. Um, and so, I don't know that we necessarily fault that, but when people, when, if you're a pessimist, let's say that is you, you see the glass half empty all the time. It is worth working on get, developing a spirit of gratitude so that God can help transform you to seeing. Um, but I don't want to be too hard on those guys. Or even I've noticed people who struggle with inadequacy. A lot of times people who don't have a strong sense of their identity in, Je their identity in Jesus um, kind of live a woe is me life. And like anytime you talk to them because there's this deep need for compassion from people because their identity is so low that what they're constantly sharing are negative things, you know what I'm saying, hoping that you'll give them a pat on the back or something. And, you know, the inadequacy comes sometimes from upbringing or who knows. So we're, we're not blaming those people, okay? That's not, that's not the point. I also know temperament. You guys know the DISC test, D-I-S-D-I-S-C. It's, it's a personality test. If you're a C personality, how many, if you've taken that test and you're a C, raise your hand. I'm a C just two of us here, Jacob. Okay, okay, we've got a few. C's are analyzers. They're really good thinkers usually, and, but there's, there is a curse with being analytical. Do you know what the curse is? You see not just the good, you, you analyze everything and you see the bad in things. Not in a bad way. I mean, analyzers are really important in organizations because you can see where things are weak or need tweaking and all that kind of thing. But that thing, if it gets out of control, can start moving you towards a critical spirit. Been there, done that, okay? If you're a fixer, if you're a fixer kind of person, you're always seeing what needs to be improved. There's nothing wrong with being a fixer. God created some of us as fixers, or some of us are fixers and he doesn't want us to be, but uh, I've been there too. Uh, and it's, it's the same way. So there's nothing wrong with having that fixing strength, but you've got to be really careful with it. 
And I also know there are some temperaments that tend towards melancholy and sullenness. And nobody asks to be that way. Okay? But that's not an excuse to allow that to become a, a discontent spirit that's never satisfied with anything. So no matter where we are with any of these things, we all need to work on moving from grumbling to gratitude. Would you not agree? We can all take a step. I think we can all take a step. Uh, all right. So quick, let me do that, and I'm going to get Steve up here. You know, I think the response, if, if you have struggle with complaining and grumbling, fault-finding, it's a gospel response. The response to the gospel is repent and believe. And we've talked in the past, I don't know, remember, I did a diagram about living the gospel life, a gospel-centered life. The whole Christian life is repent and believe, not, not, just, not just that salvation. So I think what we do is we start with repentance, and we, what it's, what's do, it's we're listening to ourselves, we're listening to our language. You know, when I come home and they say, how was the day? If the first words are always negative, always negative, I need to be listening to that and asking the question, do I have a grumbling, complaining spirit? Ask people around you, you know, how do I come off? What's my face look like most of the time? Am I dejected? Do you sense that I'm living a life of discontent? And if you have this sense that you're struggling with this, what we need to do is just simply repent of it. We need to tell God, I, this dishonors you. It's a proud heart. It's an unbelieving heart. It teach, treats you with contempt. It's rebellious, and I want to repent of that. And it takes part of repenting. It's taking captive every thought so that when you're having those negative thoughts, it's learning to know it and to stop and to like take that thought captive and say, I'm not going there with that. I'm not going to go there. And then it's believing, which is instead of take going with that negative thought, I want to have the mind of Christ and I want to think biblically. And I'm told by Paul, the man who had contentment figured out, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So I intentionally redirect my thoughts towards that direction. That's part of the believing and, and what that means, too, is, is what makes me able to do that is if I really believe that God is good and He is wise and He's running my life actually well and He knows what He's doing, and even the path I'm on is a path to blessing, that that, that enables me to see things in this light and then to give thanks for them. Because that's what Paul says in, in Thessalonians, to give thanks um, in all things. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it's learning to take captive those negative thoughts and replacing it with the mind of Christ and, and having thoughts of what's the good in this and what's, what can I give thanks for in this instead of complaining about. Does that make sense? Um, it's, in, it's intentionally to me, it's, uh, it's what James says, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what I love about this scripture. It's that first word. Does James say, have full joy in all the difficulties in your life? No, he says what? Consider it pure joy. Now, right now, like Pat in Indiana, and I'll see her later today, but... Uh, Probably there's not a lot of emotion of joy in her life right now. There's probably, you know, this, this grief and those emotions. But what, so Paul, what we're told, we're, we're not told to like gin up fake joy. What we're told to do is consider it joy, to consider it joy. That, 
I love that word. It's an accounting word. Um, consider, or in, what was the King James? Count it. Count it a joy. It's a counting word. And what, it's an accounting word. And what it is, it's like, just do some mental math. So something's happened. You don't feel good about it. That's okay. You lament it to God. But you do some, you do some like mental mathematics and you think about it and you say, you know what? I don't, I don't understand this thing. Um, but I don't believe I run things better than God. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to choose humility. And instead of grumbling about it, I'm going to choose humility and say, I don't understand it, but I bet God knows what he's doing. And I choose trust instead of unbelief. And like, again, I don't know where this is going. It looks to me like there's no good into this thing. But Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work for good. So I'm going to choose trust and I'm going to choose surrender and submission. I don't like the situation I'm in. I want to get out of it. But Lord, for whatever reason, you've allowed me to be in it and you have a work to do in my life. And so I want to surrender and submit to you in this and I'm going to accept it because I believe you have a good work to do in my life. That's what considering it pure joy. Does that make sense? And if you will do that, if you will take captive the negative thoughts, if you will then choose an, an attitude of gratitude, wow, I just turned that thing off. If you'll choose an attitude of gratitude, um, I need to back this up, sorry. Um, you'll choose humility, trust, and submission. That's what considering it joy is, Okay. I, I probably can't reach the Jesus standard of that with joy he endured. I can consider it joy. And here's what I found in my life, and I think those of you who walked with God a long time know this, that when you choose certain behaviors and thinking patterns, your emotions start to follow, right? If you choose to consider with joy, joy will start, will follow on its heels. I am convinced of that. So a few disciplines, and then Steve, why don't you make your way up here? few disciplines of gratitude and thankfulness. Um, I hope you make thank, giving thanks a part of your daily prayer routine. I was taught ACTS, the acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, T is thanksgiving, supplication. So that part of my, and you get this chair over here with the full cup right there. Grateful. <laughs> You're grateful, thank you. But he's expecting coffee. When he sees it's water, he'll start murmuring and grumbling. <laughs> By the way, you know what the really nice thing is about this sermon? Is none of you are going to go complain about this one to anybody. <laughs> right? Go home. Hey, what would you think of Garen's sermon? Oh, that was awesome, you know. <laughs> Make giving thanks a part of your daily prayer routine. All right? That you're, you're looking back on the day before and giving thanks for things. Memorize you know, we talked in our small group. Memorizing is hard for us old folk. Romans 8.28 is a powerful passage. God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You need that in hard times. Do you know that? You need that. Uh, and this sounds really cliche, but get in the word of God daily. Um, when this was going on with this, my situation and Steve and I are doing this, I dug into the word of God deeper than I ever had before. Because I, I knew I wasn't trusting his sovereignty and his wisdom. And I thought, I need to get into your story. And I need to see all the ways you've been faithful. And just getting into his word and his story helped to build my faith up in him. Um, 
So that, those were just some things that were really important. I want to throw out one more. A great daily yielding prayer. It's really hard to be a grumbler and a complainer when this is what you pray to the Lord daily. Can we do this together? I am no longer my own, but yours. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. That's become a very staple prayer for me because I continually need to be reminded that he knows what he's doing with my life and I need to submit and surrender to his good plan in my life. So, um, all right, I'm going to end with something in just a minute, but Steve, uh, I hope you enjoy your water. Great. Huh? Get a little comfortable here. So what, I mean, we talked the other day about this. Like, what, what was your big takeaway from this when we went through this? And you don't have, yeah, these are my, look at that. Can't look to see what I'm supposed to say. Actually, it was um, a little bit before then that in Monday Night Life Group, we had been studying Philippians and came to the second chapter, and it was talking about us being shining as lights, as stars in the universe, but in the midst of that was do all things without grumbling or complaining. And I thought, okay, I'm good. I don't complain much. I mean, Lisa will, Lisa will tell you I do some, but it's, it's not necessarily a bent um, that I really have. And so I was like, I'm good on this. And then as we looked at both those words, grumbling or murmuring and complaining, noticing that the murmuring was an inward discontent. A, um, yeah, kind of a continual grumbling about things, but not necessarily an outward expression for that. And at that point, I realized, that's me. Um, how often do I just, okay, God, uh, pharisaically kind of saying, I'm not complaining about things, so it must be fine. But seeing that I did have a murmuring heart, and that was something that he needed to be at work in transforming me in that. What, and what was at the root of that? So you had the murmuring going on here but wouldn't take it public. You said there was a root that was, keep, that was making you have that appearance. Yeah, I think some of it is just I'm a, I'm a pleaser. I want people to like me or at least not be upset with me. And so um, if I didn't say anything bad or complaining, people wouldn't, you know, would hopefully... Uh, like me as well, um, tend to be an analyzer as well and, and tend to think things through and just kind of keep rolling around them in my head, which again, there are times when that's, when that's good, mm -hmm. but to continually hang on to that and not um, let go of it is not a good thing, so. Yeah, and good point. Don't quit being an analyzer if that's your gift or a fixer if God created you to be a fixer, but just be careful that, that it doesn't get out of control, right? Yeah, and we right. know. We understand that. Um, what, I don't know. What else? What else to you is? So then as um, 
going along the, the study of contentment was was one that was was helpful for me and seeing that that discontentment contentment is an issue of the heart it's not outward things that happen to us that I mean things that give us happiness but it really is an issue of the heart and being contented there and as I was going through uh, my quiet time somewhere in there coming along to Second uh, Corinthians 10 4 and 5 recognizing that we're in a spiritual battle and that's part of of that spiritual battle but then to the verse in uh, 10.4 of take every thought captive and obedience to Christ. And I realized that that was, I'm in a spiritual battle and the weapons are war or divine and God is the one who will destroy that stronghold of discontentment in my life. But I have a part to do in that as well. And that is to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So that became a prayer for me as God helped Help me to be aware when I'm becoming discontented and grumbling and to hand it over to you. Again, it's a disbelieving heart. So, okay, God, you've got it. Take this again. And sometimes it seemed like every five minutes it was the same thing. Okay, God, I thought I gave it to you. Take it back again. And then five minutes later, um, God, I'm, <laughs> I'm discontent about this. Would you, would you take this from me? So. Yeah, usually once I let it go, it's gone. I don't have this problem keeping it right here. <laughs> that's why we had oh to go my. a year and a half through the uh, study. Yeah, that's why it took us a year and a half. <laughs> Garen was done in it two was, weeks. It yeah. took me the other. <laughs> no, I was, the, I was the laggard on that thing. Um, so talk, talk more about what are some disciplines or things you do in your life to help you take your thoughts captive, to focus, to have a heart of gratitude. What are some... Sure. Well, I, I know one thing has been accountability, um, in addition to, to our study together, and obviously we were praying that for each other as well during that time, but also others of you have been a real help uh, to me. I know Jacob sharing those things in terms of thoughts and uh, holding those captive, or Damon, Lisa, and I um, talk with each other each weekday morning just as prayer partners and accountability, and that's been a continual prayer uh, really for both of us is holding those thoughts captive. I know Karen Eklund's been a good one at work in the morning to say, hey, how you doing? Uh, what are you, uh, you know, are you, are you taking those things hold of um, in obedience to Christ? Are you, um, so Monday Night Life Group as well, but having people who those things are being shared with, um, who I know would, uh, would hold me accountable and would be um, prayerfully, prayerfully um, just bringing me before the Father each day on that. But it, I mean, Garen talked about it's repent and believe. And so the believing part, that's actually been, or not actually, that's been a, a struggle more for me and how do I come to the believing part and being changing the sinful thoughts into ones that are biblical ones and I know one thing that um, helped me out a lot was our son Nathan about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, their pastor had preached about if you're struggling with a particular habit um, and you're also finding that you're not in the word very much, said spend an hour just reading the word each day and see what a difference that habit might have in your life. And while I can't say that I've, I've done a lot of hour per days. I've done a lot of lengthier stretches um, from that point on, and really it's made a lot of difference in terms of God using that to renew my mind mm -hmm. as I was in, in the Word. 
Um, another thing that I've tried probably more recently is just when I, that 10 minute drive to work as I'm starting the day, um, you know, it used to be sports talk radio or maybe local KVOE news or whatever, but to turn that off and just to spend that time thanking God for who he is, giving him the worship he is wor worthy of for, for who he is and what he's done and to try and make that what starts off my work day is time just praising him. And again, that one's still very much a work in progress, but that's a discipline I've been trying to trying to grab hold of. Cool. Can we give him some applause for just sharing? <laughs> okay, Steve, you can. Yeah, you can sit down now. That's it. We're done with that. Um, I want to make sure these guys have room. And Mac, in fact, I'm going I'm to have you help me carry this table off, if you don't mind. Yeah, so hang just a second. All right, the worship team, why don't you guys come up? And in fact, why don't you just, can you set both those off to the side? I just want to finish with something. This must be a really big thing, this need for an attitude of gratitude, right? Because our, our small group, I see some of those guys out there sitting together. We're going through this book called Respectable Sins, and just looking ahead... Oh my goodness, chapter 9, discontent, chapter 10, unthankfulness, and then I heard there's some ladies, um, yes, there's some ladies who are doing Calm My Anxious Hearts, and at the top it says, A Woman's Guide to Finding Contentment. So this must be something we all struggle with, right? Something that we all need to, all need to work on, so... Um, Let me wrap up with this. You know, grumbling will never allow God's glory to shine through you. In fact, it'll put a stopper on it. Grumbling will never allow God's glory to shine through you, but gratitude will. So here's my challenge. I want to start, for this year, let's start a Thanksgiving conspiracy. Can we do that? In your bulletin, and it just got walked off with the table, but in your bulletin, who did that? I can't believe they did. In your bulletin is uh, 1,000 gifts. And our family did that for two years. And every day it's three things to be thankful for. We did that every night at supper. That is great. I encourage you to take that home, maybe start it this week of Thanksgiving. So let's start a, a conspiracy of, of Thanksgiving at 12. Because Philippians 2.14 does say, do everything without grumbling. And then finally, finally, another thing that I think helps. Last year, if you remember, I challenged us to start an Advent conspiracy because so much of our culture, do you know our culture pulls us towards cynicism and discontent? That's what all the marketing is, all this stuff at Christmas time. They want to create in us as consumers discontent. And so um, part of getting a contented life is learning to quit being a consumer so much and learning to give away and contribute. And so in your bulletin is also a sheet called the Advent Conspiracy. And I just want to challenge you to pick something and do some things for Jesus' birth and for the Advent, some things that are less taking in and consuming and more giving away. Because gratitude and generosity go hand in hand. Jeremiah Burroughs said this in his book, If you would get a contented life, do not grasp too much of the world. Do not take in more of the business of the world than God calls you to. 
For if a man goes among thorns when he may take a simpler path, he has no reason to complain that he is picked with them. For such is the nature of all things here in this world. Everything has some prick or other in it. So that call to simplicity. So let's, uh, for Advent, let's worship more fully this year. Let's spend less. Let's give more. And let's love all. So that's my challenge. All right. Uh, I'm going to let the worship guys come back. May we be known as a community of people who walk in humility and trust and loving surrender and submission to our wise and good God who rules and reigns well over this universe. And may we be a people of gratitude so that people see a difference in us. So Lord, today we just uh, give thanks for all the things in our lives. We don't always understand everything, but we give thanks because you're in control and you are writing a story that is gonna have, we already know the ending, it's gonna be amazing. And so we just wanna build your li our lives upon your love because that's the only sure foundation. Um, and you're the only foundation that's totally unshakable. So we, this week, enter this season of Thanksgiving with grateful hearts. May it be a year of gratitude, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.